Hey, welcome to our spiritual gifts class to Immersion Discipleship School. This is session six, which is part two of the manifestation gifts. Now you're going to remember last week we started part one of the manifestation gifts when we talked about prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And we want to continue going through manifestational gifts because there are nine in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now I want to do some review because we've talked about a lot of stuff at this point. And the important part to remember is that there are three categories of gifts. And those categories are the ministry gifts, which is Ephesians chapter 4, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. So those are five gifts. There are manifestation gifts, which we've been discussing, and there are nine. And there are also motivational gifts, which are Romans chapter 10, and there are seven of those. So five, nine, and seven. And there are three different passages. And these gifts are different. And what I want to describe to you is something that's very, very important that we have to remember no matter where you're at in this discussion or however you're following along, is that not everybody has a ministry gift. If we just talk about the ministry gifts for a second, the five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, not everybody has what we might consider a governmental authoritative ministry gift. But everybody has a leaning in one of those areas. So you'll find yourself leaning towards or wanting to learn more about or gravitating towards one of those five gifts. Some in the church have those gifts. When you go to Romans chapter 12 and you talk about motivational gifts, there's seven of those and everybody, every Christian, every born again believer has one of those seven gifts and some of us have two, maybe all of us have two, we call that a gift mix. And the reason that we call it a gift mix is because we realize they kind of dovetail together and when you're trying to understand what God has given you, you realize that you have, you might have a primary leaning in one or two of those motivational gifts that are given to you at your spiritual birth. And so instead of trying to figure out like, like which one's your primary, which one's your secondary, what we want to do is we just want to acknowledge that sometimes we have a gift mix. So every believer has at least one or maybe two motivational gifts. We call that a gift mix. When it comes to manifestation gifts, which we've been discussing last week, this week, and the week after, it's important to know these are not our possessions. They're actually the expressions of the Holy Spirit. And the way I always say it is they're not our possessions, they're His expression. And the reason you need to know that is because every Christian, every Spirit-filled believer can use the, the manifestation gifts at any time the Holy Spirit wills. And we see that from the principles that I've discussed with you already, but it's important because people say to me all the time, well, I have the gift of faith, or I have the gift of word of knowledge, or I have the gift of word of wisdom, or whatever. And, and what I say to them is, is that they're really not your possession, it's His possession, the Holy Spirit. These are actually the gifts of the Spirit. And when you look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can see that five times throughout these six, five to six different, cha different chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about when you gather, when you gather together, when you come together, you can expect that the Holy Spirit will minister to you and through you in the midst of your gathering. And he wants them to have a certain expectation for the Holy Spirit to move. And so doing that, what happens is that we are, are leaning into and expecting the Holy Spirit to give us gifts to give away to one another. And what he's going to give is something that he determines. So we want to be trained in all nine of these gifts. Now, some people might say to me, well, Ben, I, I feel like I'm more gifted in word of knowledge or word of wisdom, or this person that I met is more gifted in discerning of spirits. First thing you want to do is find out what the definition to them is of discerning of spirits or the gift that they're talking about. But the second thing that we want to understand is what, what, what is their background? Did they go to a church where a pastor 
or a prophet or whoever they were trained under, is that one of their focuses? Because I feel like people that think sometimes they have a certain gift, a manifestation gift, is not so much that they have it, it's that they're more trained in it and therefore it's more accessible to them, they operate in it more. Remember, just because something is available doesn't mean it's operational. But when you come into a place where you believe that God uses not only you, but he uses these gifts in the body of Christ, it becomes available to you and then you start operating in it. So my, my plea to you is that as we are studying this, that we open ourselves up to all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, realizing that he will give those to us and allow us to use them for his purposes. So we want to train in all of them. That's what I wanted to say to you up front. We've been looking at these. We want to continue to look at these today. And in this session, we're going to look at three different gifts, faith, healing, and the working of miracles. Those are the three that we're going to focus on. So let me just read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 11. It says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God work, who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and another the gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting or working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another distinguishing or discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, again, a little bit of context review is that uh, Paul is writing here to a group of believers that he knew fairly well because he spent about a year and a half in Corinth. We believe that Paul is the one that established and started these churches that are probably throughout the city of Corinth. And we know that Paul had received and or given at least one letter prior to 1 Corinthians at this point. Some scholars believe that six letters had transpired, and we have 1 and 2 Corinthians. We have two of Paul's response letters. The first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians here, is very remedial. It's a lot of correction, and Paul is giving them a lot of very corrective things on that which they are stepping out in and, and functioning in. And this section, really a couple chapters, is devoted entirely to um, correction for spiritual gifts. Paul wants to make sure that they're on the straight and narrow, not only that they're doing it, but they're doing it more accurately, and he defines that as we've already talked about, by doing it with a heart of love, serving and helping one another. And so he deals with all of their bad fruit as really an issue of, of maturity. And they're probably about six or seven years old in the Lord, they're six or seven year old Christians at this point, and they're really lacking in the issue of love. They're trying to be spiritual by looking spiritual rather than serving one another, which is spiritual. And so we see that is very, very important. We've dealt with that, I think, in, to, a, to a great degree in our last several uh, sessions prior to going into it. But here are some principles for manifestation gifts that we've already discussed, but I want to bring them back up. And the first one is manifestation gifts are expressions of the Holy Spirit. I've already said they're not our possessions, they're His expressions. Principle number two is manifestation gifts benefit the whole church. And so they're not just for some, they're for all, all of us to minister to all of us. 
Number three is manifestation gifts address the needs of the whole church. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on in all of us, among us, as we gather together, even those of us that maybe don't make it to a gathering. He knows what's going on. He knows, how to get, he knows what to give to us how to minister through us. And we need to learn how it is that he wants to work with us, in us, through us. And that's, a, that's our priority when it comes to this issue of spiritual gifts. Principle number four is manifestation gifts are available to the whole church, which I've already kind of said, but we just want to make sure that it's one of our foundational principles when we're looking at specifically manifestation gifts. Now let's talk about these three different gifts. And I want to start with first talking about Faith, And we'll do what we've done before by giving you the definition. Here's the definition of the gift of faith. The gift of faith is a specific impartation of confidence in God's power and promises that infuses supernatural courage to step beyond normal limitations. Now I want to say that again because I think this is so key to our understanding. The gift of faith is a specific impartation of confidence in God's power and promises that infuses supernatural courage to step beyond our normal limitations. Now it's important to know that the Bible uses the word faith in all kinds of ways and we don't want to be confused by this because every time the word faith is used that's not referencing the gift of faith. So we want to have some distinction for these different words or these different times or different um, circumstances where this word is used so that we understand this a little bit better when we're talking about the gift in particular. The term faith in Greek has a few meanings, but mostly what we're referring to is the ability to believe, trust, and fully rely upon Jesus and his word, of course, is what we mean by that. As, um, as Christians, we know that faith is not a thing in, of, in and of itself, but rather it's, it's the plug that goes into the outlet or the receptacle. Um, it's not, we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God and His Word and His promises. Our faith is this ability to believe, and it always is connected to that what we believe, which in our case as Christians is always God's Word. Now we have Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 2, which is always a good verse to go to when we're talking about faith. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. Faith is living with a spiritual conviction and assurance of what God has said that supersedes the realm of the physical. In other words, we could see one thing, but because God's word tells us that there's a greater reality than what we see, we can believe beyond. Like if somebody is sick, we can believe that although they are sick, God's healing power is a greater reality than what we see or what we're experiencing. Faith allows us to move beyond the limitation of what even seems like reality. There is a greater reality that we tap into as Christians. And it's the Word of God that gives us that target above whatever this natural experience is that we're having. Faith builds a bridge from the natural to the supernatural, sometimes from the natural to the spiritual. It is that bridge, it, builds, uh, it fills in that gap that we often have as followers of Christ, where we're not exactly sure what to do with what's in front of us. We, we hold on, we believe, we contend, we move beyond just natural limitations. Now here are the different kinds of faith that's mentioned in the Bible, again by way of distinction. And the first is what is referenced as the faith. The faith. You'll see this in scripture. It's a term that refers to the allegiance that all Christians share of a saving faith 
in Jesus Christ. Scriptures like Acts 6-7 or Acts 14-22, Acts 16-5, 2 Corinthians 13-5. There's other references. But Paul will say like, you know, we are all part of the faith. And he's talking about we're collectively as the church, we are all part of this thing. Uh, really the church, the faith. We're all Christians. It's, it's a general term that Paul uses, mostly Paul uses uh, throughout his letters and a few times we see in the book of Acts. Now there's also saving faith. This would be the second uh, term or different mention in the Bible about faith. Saving faith is a term we use to describe the initial faith we exercise in believing upon Jesus Christ for our salvation. Saving faith. You see that mentioned in Ephesians 2.8, 1 Peter 1.5, 1 Peter 1.9, 2 Timothy 3.15. There's other references, but these are several of them where it's saving faith. God gives us faith to believe in Jesus for our salvation. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. The message of the gospel is preached. When we hear the message as a non-believer, God puts faith into our heart, but he gives us the ability to connect that faith to that message. In other words, you can, you can believe in yourself, you can believe in another religion, you can believe in anything, but saving faith is that initial sense, that initial ability to trust that the gospel message is truth for your personal salvation. This is what the Bible calls saving faith. Now, there's also something that I'm calling general faith. As Christians, we're believing God to move through our prayers and activity for the things that are His will and as we live life. There are hundreds of references to faith being the exercise of the Christian in the life that we live. You see references like Matthew 8.10 or Matthew 17.20, Acts 14.9. Lots of different references I could go through. Lots of scriptures that we could go through. It would take an entire session just to talk about this. But this is general faith where we need to continue to believe. We need to continue to contend. We're trusting and relying upon God's word in the midst of our circumstances. This is just the general word faith. It just says faith and we're, we're holding on to faith. We're believing in and same word that you see throughout scripture. And the final reference of faith that we're talking about is of course the gift of faith which we see referenced in the passage that we just read and the gift of faith is a specific impartation it's given specifically it's not something that we possess we walk around carrying the gift of faith everywhere that we go and we just apply it whenever we want to no that would be like general faith that God gives us and some of us have we walk in a, a greater level of faith I don't know exactly why the Bible says that he gives a different measure to some and we grow in faith in God and His promises as we continue to live the Christian life connected to His Word, filled with His Spirit. But the gift of faith is not somebody that walks around having more faith than other people. The gift of faith is something that God specifically imparts by way of confidence to believe for something specific. I have found that the gift of faith is given for a specific situation and that you might be like God is calling you to move across the country or God is calling you to a mission field that's far beyond your scope or your understanding or God is calling you specifically to believe for a financial miracle and he gives you the gift of faith and this will dovetail into something else and so we want to look at some of the uh, functions of the gift of faith. You'll see these really all over the Bible, but some of the functions of this gift is that the gift of faith causes us to receive. All of the gifts operate by faith, but the gift of faith causes us to receive from God in greater and greater measure. You'll see that above and, and beyond. And this gift will dovetail into other gifts. For example, the gift of faith often is given before we see another gift like the gift of miracles. 
the working of miracles or get the gifts of healing where we want to contend for somebody that has cancer but you just feel worn down and worked over and you just can't really believe for God to do that. Maybe you haven't never seen God open a blind eye or open a deaf ear and so for you it's like almost impossible. Well God will to activate that in our life. He'll give us the gift of faith and all of a sudden we have this specific impartation of confidence to believe like we've never believed before and then we release the gift of healing. These dovetail and work together kind of like what I talked about last week, word of knowledge, word of wisdom and prophecy. What I love about the manifestation gifts is as we get trained in them we understand how they work together and we really do need to understand that because faith in and of itself it's just to believe God, but to believe God for what? That really is the issue. He'll impart that very specifically. I've seen people that like could never see themselves planting a church and then bam, God imparts the gift of faith and he causes them to rise up to the level of believing God for something that they just previously couldn't believe him for. And that gift of faith keeps them in that kind of faith to contend where they couldn't contend prior to that. And so we love the fact that it causes us to receive. We need it for that purpose. The gift of faith also causes us to be bold. We may have a prophetic word or we're carrying a declaration for a church, but we have to have sometimes a gift of faith to step up and to step out and speak up what God has given to us. Maybe you've been plagued by fear. Or you have a fear of speaking in front of people and there's, you really do need the gift of faith to transcend that fear that causes you to hold back. God will give that to you at least in an initial way so that you can break past that fear that has hindered you. It's blocked you from doing what God's called you to do or, or speaking out in the way that God's called you to. And so he'll bring, that, he'll bring that about. I can remember times in my life where God would call me to pray for people to be healed, their eyesight to be healed, whether it was being blind or even just people that were wearing glasses. I was in a, in a service one time and the Lord spoke to me before I got up to close out worship and he said, I'm going to heal eyes tonight. He didn't say blind, he didn't say glasses, he didn't say anything like that. He said, I'm going to heal eyes tonight. That's what he said to me and I knew that he, usually when I hear that, I'm like, oh great, here we go. And there was something, by the time I got up to the stage, there was something of an impartation of confidence that came into me and I looked at everybody that was there and I said, God is gonna heal. I didn't say, I believe God is gonna heal eyes tonight. I didn't say, I think he's gonna heal eyes tonight. I knew that he was going to do that. There was a confidence in me, so I just said it. God is going to heal some of our eyes tonight. And so we had people come forward right then and right there. We didn't wait till the end of the service. There was about a dozen or 15 people that came forward. And I prayed for somebody specifically. I mean, we prayed for several. There's somebody I prayed for and asked them if they were doing better. They took their glasses off. They had a, like a cataract. They had horrible vision. And nothing happened. Well, I got a phone call the next day from somebody that knows this person. And they literally get up in the morning, put on their glasses, and they read their Bible, and they couldn't read. And they realized, oh, something's wrong with my glasses. So they took off their glasses and they could read all of a sudden for the first time in their life, they could read their Bible or read a book without glasses. When they put their glasses on, they couldn't read, which is normally they could read with their glasses. Now they can't read with their glasses. And so they went to the doctor that day and got verified that the cataract was gone, 2020 vision was all of a sudden their new normal. It was incredible, incredible um, miracle of he or healing that God had done with this person. But there was such a, and I was just rejoicing because I didn't want there to be nobody healed when I specifically said God's going to heal. I knew that he would, I just, I wanted to hear the testimony of that. And so I was grateful that I was able to get 
uh, that, that report back from what the Lord had said. There's also, you look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10, and Peter and John are going to the temple for the hour of prayer, and there's a blind, or there's a lame man who's being carried to the, where this gate called Beautiful is. He would be, be begging for alms every day, and people knew who he was. And it says that he's, as he's begging for alms, Peter says, it says that Peter gazed at him and he said, look at me to the man. And the man looked at him thinking he was going to get some money. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. I mean, it's this incredible story. And it says that he reached down and he grabbed the man's hand and he lifted him to his feet. Now, I don't know about you, but it takes a lot of faith to grab a crippled man and lift him to his feet. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I don't think you're going to do that unless you have like a specific impartation of faith in your heart to grab somebody and lift them up off the ground. I've done it before and it didn't happen. I have tried to grab somebody out of a wheelchair to pick them up and God didn't strengthen their lame legs when they stood up. It didn't happen. I wanted it to happen. I was believing that it would happen just like in Acts chapter 3, but I didn't see it happen when I, when I did it. But I'll tell you, it does take faith to step into that kind, of, that kind of ministry. And so we do need the gift of faith. It causes us to be bold. It also causes us to persevere. When we've been weary in prayer and we, and we start to believe for very little and our, our new normal comes down to this level of like, God, whatever you can do. And the Lord will give us the gift of faith kind of as a second wind to believe again the things that he's already told us. And we need him to activate and reactivate those purposes and promises that we know are so true and are definitely from God. And so we need the gift of faith. Remember, it's a specific impartation of confidence towards God's promises and purposes so that he will see that we will bring his name glory as we minister to people or minister to one another. Well, we want to also talk about the gifts of healing. Remember, this is plural. It says gifts of healing, not gift of healing. And that's, that's an interesting thing which we want to talk about. But let me give you the definition on the gifts of healing. And it's this, the ability to bring supernatural restoration of an ailment, removal of a disease, and relieving of pain through prayer. I'm going to say that again. This is the ability to bring supernatural restoration of an ailment, removal of a disease, and relieving of pain through prayer. This gift is ministered through prayer and it can be gradual or instantaneous. Now I just admit to you up front that when we see the gift of healing released, a lot of times it's not instantaneous. A lot of times it's gradual. It's kind of like a seed. Is that when you pray and you release the gift of healing, you release a seed into someone, a spiritual seed, and that seed begins to grow and bear the fruit of full and complete healing. And that's the way that I see it. I'm not always looking for just the instantaneous and immediate. I'm also looking for the gradual. And I've seen that time and time again. And there is a difference between healing and miracles. A healing, as I've already said, is the restoration of an ailment. In other words, like something might be broken or there might be pain. Something isn't functioning normally. Maybe you don't have any mobility in your arm or your back isn't the way that it should be. And so what you need is you need a healing of what is broken. You need whatever is wrong made right. 
But a miracle is actually supernatural intervention where there's something creative that happens that God makes something out of nothing. A miracle is divine intervention where God makes something out of nothing. A healing is where God sets something right. Something is wrong and he makes it right. And it's important to know that just by way of distinction that we see that there are two things that we look at in scripture. And the term plural, gifts of healing rather than gift of healing, is probably because there's varied kinds of diseases and sicknesses. It says that Jesus healed every kind of disease and sickness. So it's my opinion that they're not different kinds of gifts, but rather they're different kinds of healings. That's my personal uh, view on that, at least this far. Now I want to say something about sickness so we can understand the nature of healing. Sickness um, can have a couple different sources, but the primary source many secondary sources, but the primary source of all sickness is original sin. When I teach on healing um, and disease, I talk about sickness is a curse. And I know we can get emotional about this because we have different theology on it, but it's important to realize that God did not intend, nor is he the giver of the, of the he doesn't give the gift of sickness, he gives the gift of healing. God's a healer, that's his nature, it comes out of who he is. We see that in the Old Testament, we see that in the New Testament, we see that in, in the apostles' lives. We see that in the promise moving forward in what we're called to do. It's, even, it's, it's in the Great Commission, actually, when we see that those that are carrying on the message, the ministry of Jesus Christ, are called to heal the sick. It's right there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And you might say, well, where's it at when you look at Matthew 28? Jesus said, teach them, future disciples, people that we're going to disciple, teach them to obey all that I commanded you. Well, what did Jesus command us? What did Jesus command his direct disciples? He certainly commanded them to go and heal the sick and preach the kingdom of God and cast out demons. He actually commanded his disciples to do that. So when he told them in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he said, teach them to obey all that I commanded you. He was including that as well. He said, all. And what's amazing is sometimes we, we think it's just Teach people to obey serving one another and loving one another. And that's part of it. But Jesus taught us to heal the sick. He taught us to cast out demons. It's personally my belief that the reason that we don't do more of this or see more of this is because a lot of modern day theology, very, very small percentage of it, actually believes or teaches this whatsoever. And I could go on about that to prove evidence or give evidence to that. But I think that's very, very true. Sickness comes from original sin. Not personal sin per se, but original sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, it brought futility into this world. All creation was subjected to futility. Everything. First humanity and then everything under our charge, everything under our care. We were to steward the earth, but we literally, there, a curse came upon us and a curse came upon the earth through sin. And what's amazing is when Jesus comes and gives his life, he gives his life according to Isaiah chapter 53. He bore our sins. He carried our iniquities. It says that by his stripes we were healed. And we know that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, his substitutionary atonement, he dealt with sin. And that we could be forgiven of our sin. But he didn't just deal with sin, but he dealt with all the effects of sin as well. Which means that sickness is part of that package. And so as charismatics or as Pentecostal theology would say from really the time that it's been 
written or the time that it's been established is that the package deal of being saved is that we believe that through the atonement of Jesus Christ comes healing and deliverance as well. Why do we believe that? Because Jesus came and healed the sick. Jesus came and cast out demons. We see that it was his goodness to do just that, and it's also his will that we would continue what he began. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says this, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He went around healing people that were under an oppression. Sickness is an oppression. Now certainly we find redemption and that God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. But that verse does not say that God authored all bad things. It means that God uses all things, good and bad, for his purposes for those that love him. And you can find the silver lining in anything as you turn it around and give yourself to God and surrender to him no matter what you go through. But it doesn't mean that God gives sickness. I'm not a determinist. I don't think that, that every little detail or everything in life that we experience is somehow a divine coincidence that God wanted every single thing that happens to us in our life to happen. Certainly all of the evil things that happen in life we could not believe that it was of God's hand, of God's control. No, God has allowed us a level of free will and we make choices and those choices affect one another. Sickness came from original sin. It made this planet broken. It made us broken. Our bodies are broken, which is why death has set in and we know that Jesus comes to give us life. He brings life and eternal life. And so sickness um, is not of God and it's part of what Jesus came to do is heal the sick and we continue that ministry, the gift of healing is something that he gives us to minister to one another and to bring about God's goodness through that. There are a lot of scripture references when it comes to healing, but we see in Matthew chapter 8 verse 14 through 17 that Jesus healed all who came to him. That's really, really powerful. There's something about people coming to Jesus instead of just Jesus going to them. There's a level of faith that that you see in that. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23, 9, 35, and 10, 1, Jesus healed every kind of sickness and disease. I mean, that's incredible. Every sickness and disease. Mark chapter 6 verse 1 through 6 shows that Jesus came to Nazareth and it says that he could not do many miracles there except heal a few sick people. In other words, there was an environment that hindered Jesus from being able to do what Jesus always did. Can you imagine that? I mean, that means that there are some times that our environment, our faith, or our, should I, should I say, our unbelief can hinder Jesus from doing what he wants to do. So we want to cultivate an environment of faith in God and his promises, his purposes, because we don't want to hinder what he wants to bring. He wants to heal. He wants to move. He wants to bring his power to bear in our lives, in our churches, in our world. And we want to be people that believe, as we talked about the gift of faith, and we want to release healing power and that's going to take us praying and praying and praying and praying and making sure that we're always praying for people whenever we see someone sick. If In your home, what you need to do is when your spouse gets sick, when your kids get sick, when your roommate gets sick, you want to heal. That's the first thing we need to do is bring people before the physician, Jesus Christ. Before we ask them if they've gone to the doctor, before we pop some kind of medication, I, I thank God for medication, but we need to be people that first and foremost seek God and pray because we believe that God will release the gift of healing. And we also see Acts chapter 5 verse 15 through 16 where people brought all their sick out 
where the apostles were, and they healed all of them as well. So we see Jesus' ministry transferred to the apostles' ministry, and we know that God continues that today. The function of the gifts of healing, first is restoration. Through this gift, God will restore bodies and minds. Secondly, we see the gifts of healing will bring about revival. Through this gift, God will often spark personal or corporate revival. We see that throughout Scripture. It doesn't mean that it solves every problem, and it doesn't mean that people will stay on the straight and narrow if they see a gift of healing, but it does mean that sometimes a gift of healing, when a healing is released in someone's body, what we end up seeing is that it will spark a corporate revival because Jesus has literally just stepped into their midst and made himself alive to those people. He is alive, but revival is to come alive to God and his purposes. The third thing that, the third function of the gifts of healing would be confirmation. One-third of the Gospels reveal the healing ministry of Jesus. And the apostles healed people and it attested to the truth of the Gospel that they preached. In Mark chapter 16 it says, These signs will follow them that believe. They will heal the sick. They will cast out demons. Isn't it amazing that there, those that preach the Gospel everywhere and anywhere and that God will attest to that Gospel message with healing signs and wonders. And so the gifts of healing, we just want God to release that in us, in our churches, in our homes. May we see that more and more and more, and we will see that as we step out. How do I step out? Just pray for anybody that is sick, from the headache to all the way to something that, some dehabilitating, degenerating disease or sickness, something that's incurable, something that could be cured by an aspirin, and something that there's no medication for. We want to pray for it all, because we believe that Jesus can heal it all, literally. So let God release the gifts of healing in and among us. The third and final gift that we want to discuss today is the working of miracles. That's literally what it says to define this gift, is the working of miracles. And the definition that I have is this, the ability to perform supernatural acts which clearly demonstrate God's power over natural elements for His purposes. Now I'm going to say that again, the ability to perform supernatural acts which clearly demonstrate God's power over natural elements for His purposes. The Greek word for miracle is the word dunamis. This this could be used as the working of miracles. The word dunamis is really mean the power to do miracles. Jesus did miracles, and this is what this word was used for. We often misuse the word miracle, though, and I think it's important to bring this up because if you've ever had children or you've been around that conversation, uh, of course we probably all have, and you say, oh, childbirth is such a miracle. I, I can remember having children, well, my wife had children, but I was there, I was in the room, and when that happened, you can feel like, it's, 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 it feels miraculous. It feels like there's such an awe and a wonder in that room when that happens. Certainly, that's an amazing thing, but we don't want to mistake the definition of miracle for that, because that truly is a natural function. A man and a woman come together, and God has created our bodies in such a way where there, you know, a certain, there's a fertility, and there's conception, and there's a nine-month process. Women, I'm sorry, I don't know how you go through it, but you do. Amen. And the men just, we love you and support you. But you go through that, and God has created our bodies physically and naturally in such a way where specific things happen for this child, for this child to be born. And so we shouldn't call that a miracle. It feels amazing and it, it speaks of God's creative genius and, and, and how incredible He is, how wise He is, how amazing He is. Certainly it speaks of God, but it is not a miracle 
in the same sense of the definition. And we need to be clear about that because we call a lot of things miraculous that aren't God's actual intervention in natural elements that show he supersedes or has power over natural elements. We want to make sure we keep these distinctions clear because when we call something a miracle, it certainly is a miracle. And maybe when we use the term, it's, it's just a term that we use, but I just want to be clear about that. It's important, I think, um, because we're seeking God for the miraculous in and among our churches as it would be God's purpose. Now, several scripture references when, it, when we refer to the working of miracles. N number one would be John chapter 6, verse 5 through 14, which is where Jesus fed the 5,000. I mean, you see that story and it's incredible how five loaves and two fish... He broke the bread, he gave thanks to the Father, and he distributed so that five, they say even as many as 12,000 people were fed that day out of five small loaves of bread and two fish. And that is an incredible miracle. Uh, some of our friends that are in Mexico, we've heard crazy stories about how God would just continue to multiply. They would have one gallon of milk and they would feed 400 orphans uh, milk and cereal or milk and oatmeal from just a little bit that's maybe enough for a family of four and the pot just keeps getting filled. I've heard of that from pasta to oatmeal to milk, you name it, I've heard of that. I've even heard crazy stories about God replenishing somebody's gas that needed to drive from one part of town like four or five hours away and their car was on empty the entire time and they would just pray in the spirit and as they prayed in the spirit they found that they were able to drive four hours because they needed to get somewhere and they just didn't have any money or any means to get money. Just incredible, incredible miracle. It shows that God has power over our cars. He has power over the, our systems and everything that we know to be reality. God has a different reality. He can supersede our reality. That's what a miracle really is. You see another miracle in John chapter 9 verse 1. Jesus healed a man that was born, from, uh, born blind from birth. And you see that, like he never was born with his ability to see or or so it's not just healing something that was that was uh, wrong it just was never right and so it's a creative miracle maybe I've heard of stories where somebody's had like degenerative de degener sorry degenerative discs in their back I can't say that the right way anyways they would have they would have literally like no cartilage in places in their knee and God would literally put in cartilage it would have new cartilage supernaturally creative miracle and this is what the Lord does we see in Acts chapter 3 verse 2 Peter heals a man that was lame from birth he never he never had his ability to walk and so it's super it is a creative miracle for a person that's never walked to rise up and his legs to be strengthened I mean can you imagine what that's like Acts chapter 20 verse 7 Paul raised a young man from the dead this is a, a resurrection miracle somebody is literally dead and, and God raises them from the dead. They were dead, now they're alive. That certainly is, is, a, is a miraculous event. You see other things in the Bible like transportation or translation where somebody is a certain place and they're transported to another place. Somehow they go through some portal. We don't exactly know what that looks like. I've heard lots of stories of that as well. But that is a working of miracles. That is God performing a miracle, divine intervention. It supersedes our natural reality and it shows his power over that in a greater reality. Now the function of the working of miracles, I have several. One is provision. This happens through prayer just like with Jesus. But 
there's a function where God, his purpose would be provision. So we see that with the five loaves and two fish and other places. We also see that a function is deliverance. Maybe it's addiction or demonic bondage that cannot be solved naturally. When somebody gets into addictions, they, their brain chemistry, the way that they function, the way that they think is just changed. And we really do believe that when you've gone down a drug addiction for so long that God can supernaturally deliver you. But make no mistake, that is a miracle. It's a creative miracle because even psychologists and psychiatrists today, they'll tell you that if somebody goes down the road of drug addiction, they'll never be the same. They'll never get restored back to their right mind or normal functionality. They'll be okay if they stop and if they're able to cope and work out a way of life that they're sober, but they, some many, many psychologists, psychiatrists would say they'll never be able to go back. But God can help somebody go back. We believe that and that would be a miracle. Another function of the working of miracles would be physical restoration. This would be like limbs growing back or eyes beginning to work, deformities that will straighten. Um, we see a creative miracle would be, I mean, I've heard of people that have had their, their, one of their fingers cut off and that finger has grown back. In fact, we heard a story of a man in England where they prayed for somebody, they grabbed their hand and he didn't have a thumb and the thumb grew back over a period of a half an hour. I heard another story, same thing in California, and they prayed for somebody that had their second finger, this was a guitar player, and the person couldn't play, play guitar anymore because their finger got cut off and they grabbed the person's finger and they prayed. It was about 20 minutes and they watched as that finger grew back all the way back even the nail they watched the nail grow all the way back in place and this would be a physical restoration the working of miracles we also believe that the function of working of miracles is to reveal miracles reveal a living God and a dying world Christianity is miraculous in fact there is no Christianity without miracles throughout the Bible Old Testament to New Testament we see the miraculous for those that are atheists or even agnostics when the first miracle that we can even help them to believe, because they don't obviously believe what a Christian would believe with Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus performing miracles, miracles happening today, they just believe in physical matter, whatever you see, taste, touch, smell, uh, that that's reality and there's nothing beyond that. If you were just to say to them, well, if you believed that the earth was created and uh, whether you, it's a big bang from that God spoke and said, let there be light and God created, if you could help them to understand, well, as a Christian, we believe that the first miracle in the Bible is where God said, let there be, and there was, where God created, and there was. And you just sort of helping them along, that's where we start our understanding of the miraculous, in that we believe in intelligent design, and that there's a creator of all these things that we see. Now, I just want to talk to you just for a moment as we kind of wrap up. We've talked about the gift of faith, we've talked about the gifts of healing, we've talked about the working of miracles. It's really important that if we want to see this released, we really need to pray into this. I want to encourage you as we sort of wrap up that God will release this in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, in our life, on our job, but we first has to have to grab a hold of this truth that God wants to use me. You need to say that to yourself. You need to believe that about yourself. God wants to use me. Sometimes we're waiting on God, but I believe that God is often waiting on us. He's waiting on us to step up. He's waiting on us to pray. Start praying into this. Say, God, I want to be used in a way where I see people's bodies restored. I want to be used in a way where I'm praying for orphanages that don't have enough, but we're seeing miraculous 
interventions. Lord, I want to believe, and I just, I just am struggling with faith. I need you to release a gift of faith in me so I can come back to a place of, of really, truly per, uh, contending and persevering where I once did or maybe I never have. I need your help. Start asking God every day. Let's press into this together and not just have the definitions be enough. Maybe we understand this, but do we, do we carry this? Do we carry the conviction and the contending for this. That's what I'm after. In all of this class, really what it's all about at the end of the day is saying, God, you've given us gifts and I want to walk in them. I want to work with them. I want to see your name be brought glory through my life because I minister in this. And so we ask God for the burden. Whenever we see a sick person, give me the burden for that person. Whenever we see a great need, that there's nothing we can do to change that reality. Lord, give me this faith to believe for the miraculous. Here's the thing, we are not limited. Most of the time, we're just limited by our thinking. And if our thinking is this, that God can do the miraculous, He can make a way where there is no way, that God can restore broken bodies, broken minds, God can redeem situations, that God can restore my level of faith even though I haven't seen it. God can show me that it's possible and He can give that inner confidence to me so that I can step out and pray for people. Maybe you're like, I'm an introvert. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you haven't experienced. What matters is what the Word says. And the Word says that the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts as He wills. And there are two times in Corinthians alone where it says, pursue the gifts especially the gift of prophecy, the greater gifts. But the greatest gift is always the gift that is needed in the moment that we're in. And we're in a lot of moments where these gifts are needed. And so what I want to do today is I want to pray for you and I want to pray for me that God would give us a persevering spirit, that God would give us a contending heart that says, I want to see you move in my daily life, in my home, in my heart, and in our churches so that the world would know that Jesus is alive and well and living and ministering through his people. Let me pray for us for that very thing today. Father, I just thank you right now for the grace of your gifts. And God, I just pray in the name of Jesus for everybody that's watching this, I pray for myself. Lord, I pray for great faith. I pray that you would release the gift of faith. I pray that you would release the gifts of healing. I pray that you would release the working of miracles. That Lord, we would not have limitations by our mindset. That Lord, we would break off limitations and restrictions, hindrances that we've had for a long, long time. That when we see a situation, we only feel bad. I pray that you would replace that with faith to contend for the supernatural power of God. Help us to believe God. As some of us would admit, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Lord, I pray that you would eradicate unbelief in us. Help us to be people that step up, step out, and speak up. That we would pray like we've never prayed. And I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the situations in our life that require a new level of faith to release what you give. So I pray for all my friends in this class. I ask, Lord, release those gifts upon us. Let us minister those gifts to people around us. We pray, Lord, that we would have testimonies to bring your name glory in our life. And we thank you, Lord, for what your spirit gives. Would you give those gifts to us to give away in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I look forward to our next class together. Yeah,